Welcome to Our Tribe, the podcast that sits down with Jewish professionals and entrepreneurs to hear their stories, share their advice, and bear their Jewish souls. Now here's your host, Rabbi Tovia Kopsty. Welcome back to the Our Tribe podcast. This is your host, Rabbi Tuvia Kopstein, and I'm so excited to welcome you to the interview with Mrs. Tanya Friedlander. This episode is generously sponsored by Dr. Noah and Sherry Levy in honor of the 90th birthday of Yocheved Bas Yisachar Dov. We know you'll enjoy this interview with Tanya. Thank you for listening. Welcome to Our Tribe, the podcast, and we are very excited to be here today with Tanya Friedlander. Um, I am your host, Tuvia Kopstein, and Tanya, as I understand it, you are a executive coach, That's is that right. correct? Okay, so what does an executive coach do? So an executive coach is uh, working with executives and really helping them achieve their goals, whatever it is that they want to achieve. So taking them from where they are to where they want to be and who they are to who they want to be. And whatever is it, whatever challenging challenges they're facing, um, overcome, helping them overcome those. So for different individuals, it's different types of challenges, and it could be professional or personal. So with a professional, it could be more like leadership development, leadership skills with, um, and uh, with uh, personal, it could be much more internal blockages, limiting beliefs, lack of self-confidence, whatever, whatever is going on for them and their mindset. A lot of times we talk about the mindset. That's what I help them with. Uh-huh. Very good. Now I would think uh, not being an executive, I would think that somebody in a position of already being called executive has already achieved some level of success to get there and has has these things worked out. Otherwise, they would be lower down in the company. I would I would imagine that somebody who's an executive doesn't need much much help. So where where do you see that where does it come in that an executive can feel um, lack of confidence, personal confidence, or, or needs boosting in leadership skills. Why don't they have Absolutely. those already? I mean, the thing is that a lot, especially when you're a high, such a high performer, a lot of people have imposter syndrome. So, you know, they, they feel like they don't deserve so much or they feel like um, it's not a serious business or there are sorts, all, sorts of, all sorts of beliefs that they're holding on to, even at the top. Um, and even more so at the top, you have those beliefs. Um, so there is imposter syndrome, there is mindset, you know, they want to get to the next level or they always feeling like they're not achieving enough. You know, so they're always feeling like it's a constant going in the hamster wheel, you know, constantly going, going, and they're dealing with a lot of burnout. So when you're constantly running the hamster wheel, you know, eventually you you kind of like you burn out and they never take the time to celebrate themselves. You have to celebrate their achievements. So um, those uh, many of those things we, we work on. Um, and in terms of leadership, you know what what gets them there is what because they're really good at what they do but that doesn't necessarily necessarily translate to being a good leader uh, meaning that a lot of them still have a lot of issues delegating their work because they are doing such great work and they feel only they can do it they they feel burned out because they 
they don't want to let go. It's their baby, right? It's their, they know how to do this best. So you would assume that at the top, you would already know that, but even at the top, you have a lot of those challenges of letting go um, of projects and letting other people do the job um, and, you know, different kind of like just managing a team, you know, how to resolve conflict and things like that. So you can be really good at what you do, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you have everything that it takes to lead properly. Okay. Very well said. And uh, and just before, I, I would love to hear your story about how you got into this and where, where you're coming from. And but, but right before that, just to establish your credentials, what, what kind of companies have you worked with uh, at what, you know, as an executive, as an executive coach since you've been doing sure. this? Um, I've been working with Google, Facebook, the Federal Reserve, Neiman Marcus, Deloitte, um, uh, yeah, Capital One, a lot of uh, Chan Zuckerberg, mm-hmm. a lot of uh, those uh, Salesforce. Yeah. Okay. I've heard of them. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I'm interested. I'm just you mentioned the Federal Reserve. This is the, a government organization. The government, the government organization have have, I guess, have budgeted for leadership development. I, I imagine that's what you're telling yes, me. Yes, yes absolutely. Okay. absolutely. <laughs> a lot of those companies really want to invest in the development of their, you know, of, of, of their teams, you know. Um, and so they mm-hmm. want, they, they really want them to thrive. So they want to make coaching available to them in order to get to the next level and work whatever is in their way. So they're very, especially the big companies um, are very much invested in their, you know, in their employees getting coaching. Okay. Very good. Okay. So I would love to know how, what's your story? How did you, where did you come from? How did you, is this the first professional line of work that you've, that you started and, sure. and uh, how did you get to where yeah, you are Yeah. So I was born in Israel. I grew up in Austria. Mm-hmm. I lived a big part of my life in England. And uh, seven years ago, I moved to the States. So um, when I lived in Austria, a big part of my life, I was a professional athlete. Uh, I was one of the top Austrian table tennis players and became Vienna champion at the age of 14. Uh, I I also wow. played European wide. Uh, I played at the European Maccabi Games and won gold. And so the table tennis was a, was a big part of my life. And um, so when I moved to England, I went into further education and I studied law. So I'm a lawyer by training. And uh, then when I transitioned, uh, when I moved to the States, that's when I was at the crossroads of, will I continue on my legal path or will I do something else? And I always had a passion for coaching. I intuitively always saw people according to the coaching approach, which is looking at the person as naturally creative, resourceful and whole and bringing out the potential in people is something that I was always passionate about. And so I, uh, so I, I was very excited to reinvent myself and start a new journey, a new path in America. Okay, very good. So, table tennis is is still a uh, an outlet yes. for you. Yes, I, I love. But how do you find somebody? How do you find somebody that's considered c- competition? I don't. I'm sure you, you just <laughs> you don't. I, I, I have a machine. 
I I have like that spits the yeah, balls. Yeah, like a robot that spits yeah. out the balls, uh-huh. and I can set the machine into different um with for different settings. So a backhand, forehand, top spin, you know, so that I can practice chopping, so I can do all sorts of things. So it kind of like sets that. So it, it's it's challenging because it's always uh, great to play with somebody else, but it's also challenging to find somebody I can really practice with. Ah, uh-huh. <laughs> wow! <laughs> Will you teach it to your children? Yes, I am. Yeah, they're very okay. excited. <laughs> okay. okay, excellent. Okay, so I it might not be obvious to our to our watchers to our listeners, but you are a Jewishly observant lady, and uh, there's all kinds of questions that that come with that come with that, and that is uh, the 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 main question is what does being a, a Torah observant Jew, what does that mean to you, and how how does it affect your your professional life? Um, so I find that there is with the you know everything that I've learned in Judaism, I I'm able to translate within my work. You know, I I find that a big part of you know tzelem elokim, you know, being a tzelem elokim means like also to bring out the best in people, right? Wholesomeness, and uh, for our list, for our listeners who don't know, tzelem elokim means that 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 humankind is created in the image yes. of God. Yes, exactly. And okay. from for for what I'm uh, in the in the coaching, uh, the coaching approach is really about bringing out the best in a person and bringing out the potential. So I see a lot of things that I have learned throughout into in, in Jewish teachings. So much translates to what I do on a daily basis, and I and my clients are not aware of it, but I do bring a lot of Jewish wisdom <laughs> into my practice. Um, I just don't name it, <laughs> but it's. Um, it's it's very powerful and um and i it's a, it's a huge benefit that coming from uh learning torah you get so much of that wisdom that you can implement in in the work that i do especially especially mm-hmm. do you feel that 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 your the depth of of the learning that you have that is coming through your coaching gives you an advantage over people that don't have that background? Um, it's a combination. An advantage of un- meaning. Let me try. Let me explain. And uh, does it give you an insight into understanding the issues that your clients are dealing with, and and also into the advice that you give when you when you try to help them? You mean? Inter- could you ref- could you reframe that again? Could you ask again? Yeah. Knowing, you know, having spent some time, I, I would love to know, I would love to talk to you about how much, like where you, where you learned, if you, if you were born religious, um, we could, we could get to that. But let's say, uh, assuming that you spent some time in, let's say, uh, learning institutions and you, you really, you really devoted a part of your life to that. Does the insight that you got into the human psyche from that learning give you, does that give you a professional advantage meaning do you feel like you can understand a person better than somebody who doesn't have that insight so personally yes i feel like because i've also been on my own journey that i can relate to other people embarking on their personal journey um and so because coaching really is a journey of self-discovery and when you embark so i am I, I'm not, I wasn't born in, in the system. So I, I, I am a Balchuva. Um, so I, when I started my own journey, 
it was also a journey of self-discovery, of my heritage, of who I am as a person. And I feel like when even people, you know, that are, you know, that are not Jewish or, you know, that are not observant, the, it's it, coaching is a journey of self-discovery. And so I can definitely relate to that and have an understanding because I've been through my own journey. So that helps mm. also facilitate the coaching process because I bring a lot of understanding and empathy and intu intuition into the coaching process. Mm -hmm. Do you find, uh, do you, do you have a, a, um, a group of peers who are also ex executive coaches that you discuss with? You discuss issues Absolutely. with? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I have, uh -huh. a, I have a group of people that I, that are also um, observant and, and, and they're coach, uh, executive coaches. So we all, you know, we connect to each other. And if there is anything that would be of, you know, that could be, you know, a question or anything like that, that you would post, you, you have to have a su support system. So that's definitely very, very beneficial. Mm -hmm. Are your clients also mostly... Uh, observant Jews or this is the clients are all across uh, all types of all people? Types all types of people, all types. I, I uh -huh. could, I, I okay. uh, just today I had a, a session with um, a Hasidish, <laughs> Hasidish person and mm -hmm. the next session was uh, not, a, not a Jewish person. <laughs> so so okay. it's just, I have uh, from every, everywhere in the world from any background. Uh-huh. Okay. Now, does your does your observance and and the, um, I guess does your observance come across when you're dealing with a non Jewish client, non Jewish client, or let's say a non observant client? Is there are there any issues that come up that you that you have to have to deal with that you you know on a daily basis or an occasional basis that that are that are sticky? No, not at all. Not at all. It's it's very highly um, when when they some of them don't know and if they when they know it's very very respected. Um, they're often uh -huh. you know they just wished me a happy Passover and you know so it's very very respected, which is very you know for me this is a new experience in America because in Austria where I'm from I experienced a lot of antisemitism. So for me this is mm -hmm. a very very refreshing for people to be so kind and open towards. Um, you know, somebody who's Jewish. So uh, it's, it's very, um, yeah, I'm very impressed and I have a very good experience here <laughs> compared to where I'm from. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, and, and honestly, it's really just knowing, you really just have to know yourself. You have to know yourself and you have to be honest with yourself and know your clear boundaries. You know, then you don't get into sort of any conflict when you have those boundaries when you really know what it you have that clarity and um yeah then you don't then you don't get into such sticky situations because you're clear on that okay so i asked before i asked a two-part question and i and we only focused on one of it one of the one part so i asked if your if your jewish learning your torah learning has gives you an insight into the the challenges that your clients face and you answer that and now the question now the question is the advice that you give them afterwards is that also shaped is there a certain professional is there a certain professional script that you have to stick to as a, as an executive coach or any coach that that if if your client is experience, experiencing this type of problem challenge limitation then this is the prescription these are possible prescriptions 
or is it something that you can improvise? And and if it's something that you can improvise, is it is it coming from your insight into what works based on your learning? <laughs> right. So <laughs> that was a complicated question. That's quite a question. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. Um, so one thing is that there are many different modalities and tools that you can use as a coach. Um, and so when you have a client facing certain challenges and what it is that they work for work on, it is it is the coach's ability to know which tools and modalities to pull from, what will serve the client most in this given situation. So there are many different possibilities how you can help them. But at the same time, you're also using your own intuition, you know, who you are as a person. That's why every coach, you know, there are so many different types of coaches and it might not be the right fit for each client. You have to find the right coach that is the right fit for you. Um, so each one will bring their own experience, their own understanding and knowledge to the coaching process. So um, so what I have found is that in the, the asset that I bring to the coaching process is that my background is as a high performer, you know, being an athlete, um, being a lawyer, uh, all of those things help me facilitate the coaching process because I understand what it is like to want more, to achieve more, and to be able to get to a point where you find deep fulfillment and meaning and living a meaningful life. So, you, there is the overall modalities and tools that you pull on and that you bring to the coaching process, but it's also your own who you are as a person as well. Okay. Does that answer but question? it's not, it, yeah, that, that definitely answers the question. Definitely answers the question. Is there, what I was trying to get at is, is there anything in your, in your Torah learning that you bring to bear when you're, when you are, coming up with solutions, potential solutions for your clients? So definitely, definitely. I don't, I just don't know. I think it is already in, ingrained, you know, when you have really internalized yeah. and absorbed certain things. So I, I think it comes out as who I am and it's so much who I right. am part of me. I'm not so much, I just don't know how aware I am, aware I am when I'm actually doing it. I think it's such a okay. big part yeah, of who I am that just naturally <laughs> comes in. But I'm sure I'm pulling on different things that I've learned along the way. It might be on a conscious and subconscious level. Okay, excellent. So the, please, we would love to hear at this point, we'd love to hear your story. Maybe I should have asked that first. But um, you said you were you were born in Israel and you told us what you did, um, how you competed and how you what you did professionally. Tell us, how did you come from a non-observant Jewish background and then, and then become an observant person? So it's very interesting because I grew up, um, I, I was born in Israel, but I grew up most of, uh, you know, my life in, in Austria. And uh, living in Austria as a Jew has, you know, had its challenges. Um, at the same time, I grew up in a traditional home. So my, my family, you know, was very, you know, connected to Judaism. I grew up with you know, God in my life. Um, and, but at the same time, we always had to, 
we always had to hide our Jewish identity. So I went to a public school um, and I just remember we have a lot of uh, pictures in our home of the, the Kotel and, and, and different, you know, Jewish scriptures and all, all of that in the home. And I just remember as a child when my, when somebody outside would come home, like a plumber or anybody working on something, anybody really coming in, my mother had to cover everything. My mother covered every single picture. Really? We had our mezuzah inside um, because there was too much fear to have it on the outside. Um, and it was, uh, it was my big, my, when I moved here, it was a huge revelation for me. Like I, I came here and I just saw how people are so outwardly Jewish. Um, I, I was always, uh, I wanted to run towards them and say, I don't know if you can walk around like this. <laughs> so basically uh -huh. this is how I was brought, uh, this is how I lived. And also in school, I was discriminated against. Um, and I had to change school because they were always treating me unfairly and poorly. And, and so I, I really suffered as a child and I started to have, you know, negative connotations towards Judaism because it was because of that, that people didn't like me. So, um, so that I felt that they didn't like me. So I eventually, when I moved away from Austria, I moved to England. And that is where I discovered Judaism on a whole different level. Um, I, I lived in a Chabad house and I saw the warmth of, 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 of the open home and just so much love for the Jewish people. And, and, and that. Can I, wait, can I stop? How did, how do you come from Austria to live in a Chabad house? Um, that was that was they had an apartment available and that so was where you rented so the, I, I, I moved to england and i wanted to live with with uh, i didn't know anyone it was me and my sister and we wanted to live with jewish people <laughs> and the chabad uh -huh. had had room so so okay. me and my sister moved into the chabad house <laughs> um if it works yeah. for you. <laughs> um, and something that I also felt growing up in, in, in Austria, because of going to a public school, we have, um, there is quite a Jewish community in Austria. And so what I, mm -hmm. I always saw a lot of, there is a big Hasidic community. And I used to see um, the Hasidim and I used to always think, I just remember this as a little child, I always looked at them and I thought, we like we can do all these things and we you know we were traveling and i was playing competitions and everything but when i looked at them just walking down the street i felt like they they really know what happiness is they really know what a meaningful life is and i don't know where this is coming from i assume this is something that was coming from my my parents that in ingrate that love for Yiddishkeit. Um, but I just remember as a, as a child already knowing that there is tremendous wisdom on the other side. Hmm. Okay. So when you're in the Chabad house in England, this was in London, yeah, I imagine? Uh, no, this was in Oxford. Then, yeah. Oxford, okay. <laughs> and you, uh, so then... You got, you saw the warmth and the love, and and then you got involved with learning from there. I, I was no, I was just living there, and okay. I saw, I observed, okay. and I thought it was amazing. Nothing happened, <laughs> and then when I went to university, that is when I started to, um, I 
I just felt like I was questioning a lot of things and a lot of, I was a very proud Jew. So I stood for Israel and I was like, I'm Jewish and Israel. And, and, and so um, a lot of the students started to ask me questions about Judaism. They asked me about different holidays, about kosher and, and things like that. And for many questions, I didn't have the answer. And I felt, I started asking myself, what are you so proud of? So I wanted to learn more. I thought as a Jew, as a proud Jew, I should know these things. So I went to learn, locked myself in the room at campus, <laughs> and I started learning. And when I graduated, I said my next step after graduating was to either continue on my legal path or to go to Israel. And in that point, I said this law I can always continue pursuing, but now is the time to go learn. And I and uh -huh. I after graduating from university, I went to study in Eretz Israel in Jerusalem, and I studied for one and a half years. Yeah, very nice. And you, and then from there, you continued your legal career. So then afterwards, I returned um, to England, and I pursued uh -huh. my 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 legal career. I I continued more like as a paralegal, and then I you know I was already starting to I wanted to start dating, <laughs> so. I wanted to, uh, I was uh, working as a paralegal waiting to see where am I, you know, where am I going to go to continue on my legal path? Okay. Very good. Excellent. Okay. So next question is, I imagine with, with the coaching you have, most of your sessions are, are live or are they on video on Zoom? They are actually on Zoom. They're, they're all exclusively? No, I have some local uh, local clients that come to me uh -huh. um, from the surrounding areas as well. Um, but most of it is, uh, is is online. Okay. You're in, are you in the New York area? Yeah, in, in, in the tri-state area. Okay. In the tri-state area. Okay, very good. So is there, do you have issues with, um, do you have flexibility with your, with the bookings? And I know that uh, family concerns are, are often, um, you know, somebody who has to go to a job that's uh, in an office or requires you to be committed to certain hours, it can be hard to raise a family, but you you have flexibility yes, with that? Yes, absolutely. And that is also yeah. such a big advantage of my work is that I have tremendous flexibility. So I, uh -huh. I can take off time if I need to. Um, I can book, you know, when is, when is, you know, when the time is right, I can book in sessions, I can really work on my schedule. So I can be there with for my family, and for the things that are important to me in life. Mm -hmm. At uh, how so how long has it been now? Seven years since you started coaching or just seven years? In seven America? years in America. It's been four, uh -huh. more than five years now in coaching. Is there is there a professional training program for for executive coaching? So I did an uh, I did a coaching program. Um, it's one of the oldest and and the, it's the Harvard of coach training schools um, that I completed when I first started. It wasn't focused solely on executive coaching, but on coaching. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm, I'm I'm an ICF certified coach. International the Co International Coach Federation is the governing body mm -hmm. of coaches um, that sets the you know uh, standard of ethics and guidelines um, and so forth, and sets the gold standard for coaching. And then I also I'm a certified Gallup Strengths Coach. 
Um, Gallup is an, an organization that really helps um, management, um, senior level management and companies and organizations to really leverage their strengths, identifying their strengths and leveraging their strengths. So I'm also, I'm a certified strengths coach. Uh-huh. Very good. And does the ICF help place their, their graduates with, with clients? Yes, absolutely. They, they, facilitate, they, they uh-huh. facilitate when people are reaching out. A lot of times, um, I recently worked with a university. Um, they reached out, a university reached out to the ICF looking for coaches. So then they partner with you in order to, to get coaching sessions. Uh-huh. I wonder, I, I, in, I spent a lot of time in, in learning institutions. I myself uh, was not born religious and, and became so as a young adult. And there's a lot of things that we learn about that are theoretical. And in terms of, in terms of how to live a successful life, a meaningful life, how to, how to be a good husband, a good, a good a friend, a good, a good parent, a good father, and, and a good Jew. <laughs> and, uh, you learn these things in a theoretical sense, and then you only realize how to how to actually put them into practice when you're challenged with the situation that requires you to put them into practice. <laughs> and, and you and when you mess up, you realize that oh, you know, I actually actually have spent quite a, a bit of time learning that I wasn't supposed to do what I just did, <laughs> and <laughs> and I didn't realize I, I didn't realize uh, until until I messed up. So I wonder if you have, if you feel like because you're always consulting with people and you are, um, you're always dealing with their issues and their roadblocks and helping them get past it, does that help you get a perspective on your own life as a mother and a wife and a Jew? <laughs> and, and does that, does that give you, um, a sort of insight before, before any problems come about how to correctly deal with things in your own personal life. Absolutely. I mean, your clients really, you know, help you as well, because you are starting to identify also things for yourself, right? What is happening, you know, and also you see what's happening on the outside in other people's lives. So you kind of like start asking yourself those questions, right? Um, You know, uh, or or you're just observing or assessing, oh, how am I doing here? (laughs) You know, not always do you ask yourself those questions. And sometimes your clients help you reflect on that so it's you definitely learn a lot of a lot a lot of things um and uh, like i said oftentimes i think it is on a conscious level and sometimes on a subconscious level because i i do this day in and day out and and so uh, sometimes i just need it's so important to have those breaks in between um, because they allow you to really reflect on what just happened on what the conversation what it is about um and you also reflect back on your own values, your values, your your and 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 your Jewish values, you know, especially with high performers that constantly work. You know, many times I, I sit back and I just I, I'm so grateful to have Shabbat in my life, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's it's like I, I teach them, I I help them, you know, to take how to take breaks, how to allow themselves, how to th- I give them permission and I help them give themselves permission to take breaks um, because they're constantly working and they feel guilty when they don't. So it's uh, oftentimes you just, when you reflect back, you just feel like, wow, you know, how did I live before I kept Shabbat? (laughs) 
<laughs> now, do you ever have a situation where your client is Jewish and not observant and you want to tell them, oh, your life would be so much better if you had Shabbat? <laughs> And but you can't because you're not there to te- to teach them how you know you're not there to be a, a religious instructor. You're there to be to be a professional. Does that ever happen? Um, so it happened n- not really, just in the sense of you know being intentional and mindful of how they set their time. And then often it only comes up if they ask me how I do it. So when they ask me how I do it, you know, I don't usually, I don't talk about myself in sessions, but when they ask me personally, like, Mm. I want to know, like, how do you do this? Then I would share with them that I have Shabbat, you know? And I was like, (laughs) okay. That, that's that's interesting that you say you don't talk about yourself in sessions. I know that it's, uh, it's very powerful, the power of a story to to help somebody that you're trying to reach to identify with you so i i just i was just reading that that a story operates a certain area of the brain that people you know people listen to it and they they get involved and everybody everybody just loves it when we when you tell personal stories so i would imagine that as an effective coach that would be one of your tools to 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 show to show your clients that i had a challenge and this is how i got over the challenge and you could do it too yeah. But, but, yes, but oftentimes, yeah. you know, your your story might be powerful to you and it might be inspiring, but it might not facilitate change because you can listen to a story. How many times do you go somewhere and you're like, wow, you're so inspired and nothing else. There was no internal change, nothing really other than that inspiration. You come home, but your actions don't reflect on the inspiration. So you can tell a lot of stories, but they will not um, they will not facilitate transformation and change. Um, and so what I focus on is on them. And when they talk about themselves and what's holding them back, I'm able to help them in a much powerful way that will actually facilitate that transformation and change. Mm-hmm. Okay, beautiful. Can you share with us without re- divulging any details of who you who you dealt with? But uh, can you share with us a challenge, a particularly difficult challenge that that you were able to use your own creativity to suggest a solution that really helped the, the client? Um, I know I, I sprung that I didn't give you any forewarning about this question. About I, just, I just thought of it now. I just I would have to think about take that. Take, take your time. You want me to think about it now? Yeah, yeah. Is there is there anything that comes to mind, or or it could be something that maybe there's a typical challenge that you can that. Yes, <laughs> um, there's so many different scenarios. I just have to um, think of. Um, um, so one thing that I just recently I just uh, worked with one client, and something that I keep hearing as a as a reflection back is that I never thought of it that way, I never looked at it that way. Wow, you know, and that uh, it's almost like we are so wired in a certain way to think about certain situations um, because we are taking our whole experience and the way we look at ourselves and the way we look at life. Um, and so what I help with is suddenly you're almost, you know, 
taking all the layers off, all the limiting beliefs, all the things that you are, you know, the way your your perspectives, and you're going layer by layer um, to really see what's at the core of everything, you know, and then you bring out the best in them. Because a lot of times what we do, we don't actually ask us, many times we don't ask ask ourselves what it is that we want. Oftentimes, we just go on out autopilot. You know, we go by what our family or friends' expectations, what our societal expectations, and we're never really take the time to be true to ourselves, to ask ourselves, what is it that I really want? And to be honest with ourselves. And so what happens in coaching is that it's really a place for you to open up about all the things, you know, and be truly honest with yourself and look yourself in the mirror, so to say, and ask yourself what it is that you truly want and live a life, a created life, not a life by default, but a life by design, you know, creating the life that you want. And that is extremely powerful. That is when people really feel alive and empowered and inspired. And that is how they start their journey. And that's how we really go from where they are to where they want to be and be able to reach their goals. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Another question. What happens if, if a coach, if the match between a coach and a client doesn't seem to be working? Do you just, do you say, okay, let's try a different approach. Let's try a different approach. Or at that point in time, do you say, I think you do better with so another coach? basically, with another I always coach. have an initial conversation. And that is usually the time when you discover, you're trying to figure out if this is a good match. So it goes both ways. They're trying to learn about you and you're trying to learn about them. And at that point, before we even start in going in, you know, working together, that is when we that is when we kind of like see is this a good fit or not. And if it isn't, then I will refer to somebody else. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's something that you could always tell in the, in the initial conversations or is, is there ever time where you think I could help this client and the client thinks that, that Tanya can help me. And then you realize that after you start working together, it's just not Right. It's just not working. Um, so Does that ever happen? If then you have to kind of like figure out, is it is it the coaching approach that isn't working for them? Do they need different types of help? You know, there are other you know, ways to help mm-hmm. somebody. Um, or is it the is is it the relationship? Is it the coach and the coachee? So you have to kind of like see um what is causing, you know, the mm-hmm. you know the that ineffectiveness you know so that is what you have to discover if you see that this the coaching approach isn't going to serve them then you have to then i would help them you know see that they might want to look for other kind of help and if i think it's a kind of a personality thing then i would see what could be the best fit a different coach mm-hmm. okay very good now uh, you're part of a, uh, if i understand correctly you're part of a network that uh you're Recently, you became connected with Beryl Solomon's yes, that is organization. A very recent development. What, yeah. That. Yeah. Wealthy. What, what is that coaching. called? The what's the uh, a wealthy? So that's just a. Is that a a group of coaches where where uh, he he'll get the call from a potential client and then he'll based on his staff that he has available he'll assign yes, exactly a suggested. Exactly. So that's he's kind of okay. like placing okay, he's placing the right coach you know with the the client with the right coach. Mm-hmm. How many coaches but are part of that right now? Five. Do you know? Mm-hmm. Five coaches. Okay. 
Very good. And up until then, you did you have to do your own prospecting? Do you have do, before before you got involved with that, or is it something? Is is the ICF finding you, know, you new you work? To, you or you how run does, your own business, it... and most coaches have to do that. Um, it's, yeah. it's something that you know, in terms mm-hmm. of like, if you want to make your business thrive, you 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 have to. You know, do your own work as well. You know, waiting for somebody else. You know, for right. you to to get your clients isn't going. You know, going to be that much. So you have to you have to put in the work. Right. Okay. So as uh, as as we take leave of this interview, I really appreciate the time you spent with us. Um, is there anything else you'd like to share? Um, we, we have, there may be students of the podcast fellowship this, for which this, um, this podcast is really designed and they are, are curious about professionals in, in Jewish professionals. And is there anything you would like to share as a closing thought, um, a message Absolutely. for the um, listener? Do you think there's some listeners who want to become coaches themselves? <laughs> It's, it's possible. I mean, there could be, there could be listeners, there could be students out there. They may be in a different professional track, but they, they might recognize in themselves that I have the ability to listen well and to, and to help and lend, you know, and, and I've helped people in the past and they may, they may wish to go into this. You know, it's not, it's not an official college course right now. It's something that you do, <laughs> that you do on your own, that you go to a coaching school, but um, there yeah, may be, there absolutely. may be some out there. Absolutely. And, so and, on one, uh, one thing that I, I think that was a big eye opener for myself uh, when I embarked on that journey was that a lot of coaches are really good at what they do. Um, but in order to run a successful business, you also have to have a business mindset. And a lot of times you're almost a little bit naive, which is a, it's, it's great <laughs> to be sometimes, but it's it, it almost like naive in a sense that, oh, because I'm a good coach, it's I'm going to have a successful business. Right. But it doesn't quite work like that because you do have to have a business mindset and you have to know how to run a business. So just like anything else that you're starting, um, my my company is 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 a business, you know. So that was a huge shift for me when I realized, wow, I do. I, I'm not. I'm a coach, but I also have to be business oriented in order to have a thriving practice. So that was, Uh, that is something that I always point out to people that reach out to me um, that want to become coaches themselves. It's advice that I give to them because most coaches are doing it because they want to have to make an impact in the world. They have a big heart. They're good at what they do. They have the listening empathy and they can learn these things and they have what it takes, but then you need to, also have a business mindset. <laughs> and you can get that through a, a, I mean, an appropriate you training to, course. You, you learn, you know, you learn as it's, it's an experience, you know, just like anything yeah. else, you can learn a lot of things in a coach training school, but most of the experience that you get is when you're actually doing it. And the same goes with business. You know, you mm-hmm. can learn a lot of things, but most of the learning comes from in the experience itself. Okay, very good. Thank you so much for your time. I really learned a lot from this conversation. And uh, you should have a lot of success. Thank you for inviting me. Such an honor to be here. Such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. you. I feel the same way. Be well. (laughs) Bye-bye.
You've just listened to another great episode of Our Tribe, the podcast, brought to you by the Podcast Fellowship and hosted by Rabbi Tovia Kopstein. Tune in each week every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time to hear more great episodes of Our Tribe, the podcast. If you have any suggestions or questions, email us at ourtribe at podcastfellowship.org. And don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to help the tribe thrive.